hopefully another three years, five years, hopefully another 35 years to come for our church, but what are we going to do in the next 35 years? Now, last week, Pastor Kent shared with us Jesus' mission when he came to this earth. Last week's message was titled, Why He Came. Jesus Christ, the central figure of what we believe in, he came here to earth to rescue rebellious people, to rescue sinners. And so we're all sitting here today because we all have been rescued by Jesus. But if we've been rescued by Jesus, then what's next? Jesus has done his mission here. What about us? For CCMA, Jesus has been fulfilling his mission for the last 35 years. He's been rescuing rebels and sinners just like you and me. And he's been doing this and creating this community in Adelaide for us to be a part of. Jesus has rescued hundreds of people and he's brought them into this place. God has been faithful. He's built our community up. We started off with just one congregation and now we're nearly three. We started off with just a couple of people in the Sunday school program. Now we have not enough space for all of our KFC uh, students. Jesus has been fulfilling his mission at our church for 35 years. And so this week, when we look at our passage and what Shukit read out, it's actually a similar thing that was happening back then because the passage that Shukit read out was from a letter called Galatians. And this guy called Paul, he was an apostle. He wrote this letter to the churches in this area. And for those of you who have been with us over the last year, you may remember that we actually studied through the whole book of Galatians about 12 months ago. And the churches in this place, they were the same as you and me. They all didn't know God at one time. They all were rebellious against God. They all were sinners too. And Jesus came and rescued them. Through grace, Jesus built up that church in Galatia. And so Paul wrote this letter to encourage them and say, hey, you guys have been rescued, but there's more to do. And so today, we are going to be looking at the same thing. We're going to look at the words that Paul wrote to the Galatian church, and we're going to see that actually it applies to our church, to CCMA today as well. When Paul started writing this letter to the Galatians, one of the biggest things that he was talking about was that he said, you know what, you guys are rescued. You don't need to work hard to be saved anymore. The people in that church, they were thinking that, well, I want to be a Christian. I want to be saved, but I kind of feel like I need to do all these extra things. I need to do all these rituals. I need to do all these traditions. I need to follow all these rules. And if I don't follow them, then maybe I won't make it. But Paul was saying, no, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that I am the life and resurrection. I am the way and the truth. It's Jesus' mission to rescue us. We can't rescue ourselves. And so when we are rescued by Jesus, then we have a new life. We don't have to feel like a slave to the rules anymore. We don't have to feel like we are only a Christian just because we follow the rules. And if we make a mistake, then maybe we're going we're to lose being a Christian. It's not like that. You have a new life. Once we are rescued, we are free. 
And when we are free, Jesus gives us a new life and he gives us a purpose. When we have a free life, it's not that we just walk around, we can do whatever we want. Jesus says, I've rescued you and I'm going to give you a purpose for the rest of your life. Jesus said that I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and this life that you are going to live, this life with purpose, it's not going to be tree. It's not going to be characterized by selfishness or drunkenness or envy. It's a life that's going to be characterized by the life of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. So maybe some of the KFC um, kids, you might know what the fruit of the Spirit is. I'm going to try and remember them. So there's love, there's joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I actually had them written down. I kind of cheated. <laughs> but that's what life as a rescue looks like. When you've been rescued by Jesus, this is the life that you are to live. When we are rescued, we are given a new life, free to live for Jesus' purpose and for his glory. And that was the first five chapters of this letter that Paul had written to the Galatians. We've now reached chapter 6, and the verses that Shukit read from is now when Paul says, well, that was the purpose for you individually, but what about for the whole church? As a rescued individual, we have freedom and we have purpose, but as a rescued community, we also have a mission and a purpose. And so actually, in the first 10 verses of chapter 6, Paul talks about how we, as CCMA, should interact with each other, how we should do this so that we can carry out our church's mission. And there's going to be three different ways that Paul talks about that we're going to look at. And the first one is with our peers. How do we interact with our fellow rescuees? our fellow Christians in community, the people on the left and to your right as you're sitting down, how should we interact with them? Then we think about how should we be thinking of ourselves as a part of this community? And then ultimately, as every church does have, we have leaders in our church. So how should we interact with our leaders? And so there's three different things that we're going to look through. But we're going to first start off in verse 1. And let me read to you verse 1 of Galatians 6. It says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, I want to ask you guys, how many of you play sports here? Or like to play sports? Yeah, a fair few. How many of you had sports injuries over the time that you've played sports? Yeah. How many of you have ever dislocated something before? Yeah, yeah, a few, yeah. It's pretty painful, right? I play basketball, and there was one time that I was playing, and I remember very clearly I was trying to steal the ball, and I sort of stuck my hand out, and I was like, oh, ow, I think I jarred my finger. And I continued playing, and then there was a break, and I looked down, and I was like, oh, this doesn't look right. My finger's sticking out this way. And I realized at that time that my finger was very dislocated, my pinky. And I'm not a medical professional, but I knew that I needed this finger to go back where it went. And so against all proper medical advice, I just grabbed it and pulled as hard as I could. 
and thank the Lord that it went back into the right place. Um, afterwards, I learned it could have been a lot worse. I could have broken nerves and done all sorts of, done all sorts of terrible things. But when you dislocate something, you need to put it back to what it was before. And when Paul says, if someone is caught in a sin, you should restore that person, the word that he uses, the word restore, is actually a similar word to essentially put back into the right place. And so what Paul is saying is that as a church, we're a body, and if someone is caught in sin, it's like they're dislocated. And if, you're, if you have something that's dislocated, you don't kind of look at it and go, well, I have nine good fingers. I'll just leave this one dislocated. It'll be fine. You don't think like that. It's painful, and you want to put it back to where it belongs. And this is what Paul is saying. It's the same thing. When there is someone in our church caught in sin, it needs to be addressed. Because when a church member is caught in sin, it hurts the whole church. When you have a dislocated finger, it's, it's not just the finger that hurts. You can't really think of anything else. All you can think of is my finger sticking out the wrong way. And that's what our church should be thinking. If someone is caught in sin, we shouldn't be turning a blind eye. We shouldn't be thinking that, oh, there's actually, you know, there's all these other people who are fine. Let's just ignore that and brush it under the carpet. That's not how it works. Especially because sin has damaging effects. It has a nasty habit of infiltrating and spreading beyond just that one person. You know, if there's someone who is struggling with honesty and finances, and they're managing our church's money, this could spell disaster for our church. If there's someone who is struggling with gossip and they leave it unchecked, this could destroy relationships in church. If there's someone who struggles with pornography or sexual sin in our church and it's left unchecked, it can lead to destructive behaviors towards each other in our church. When a church member is caught in sin, it hurts the whole church. And that's why Paul says this person must be restored. The dislocated joint must be fixed. But how? How do you do it? Do you do it like me and you just grab it and pull and hope for the best? I don't think so. What Paul says is, he says, you who live by the Spirit should store the person gently. He says, you who live by the Spirit, and he's talking about those who have the Spirit in them. And that is everyone who has been rescued by Jesus. For each person who has been rescued by Jesus, we have the Spirit in us. And so when Paul says, you who live by the Spirit, he's saying that it's us. We don't wait for someone else to do it. It's our responsibility as a church to be restoring those who are in sin. And he also says, do it gently. This is so important because sometimes we may want to address someone's sin. We may notice that there's something that's not quite right. But we may also try and take it into our own hands. We might just kind of say, well, this is how you are supposed to do it. You're not supposed to be stealing. Just stop stealing. Let's just kick you out of the church. You don't deserve to be here. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that when we restore people, we need to do it gently. 
And the key thing is, it's by those who live by the Spirit. Because when we have the Holy Spirit in us, we remember that actually Jesus was the one that rescued us. We couldn't rescue ourselves. And so therefore, if someone is struggling, we're not going to be their rescuer either. It is only through the Holy Spirit, only through Jesus that they can be rescued. And when we have that in us, when we remember that, then suddenly the burden is not as big. We don't feel like we have to do everything. We don't feel like we have to fix the person next to us. We don't feel like we just have to pull and hope for the best. We know that there is someone who is a professional at it. We know that we have the power of Jesus and the Spirit. Our responsibility as members of the church is to restore those in sin by the Spirit gently. That's one of the things that we need to do when we think about the person on our left and on the person on our right. The other thing that Paul says that we should do when we interact with those around us is that we need to carry each other's burdens. We see this in verse 2. And let me ask you this question right now. What do you think are the burdens of our church members? When you look to your left and look to your right, whether the person in front of you or the person behind you, do you know what their burdens are? Do you know what they're struggling with right now? Do you know if there are people in our church that are currently struggling with finances? Do you know if there's anyone struggling with jobs? Do you know if there's anyone who's struggling to find a place to rent or to stay? Do you know if there are any church members with health issues? What about spiritually? Our first responsibility was to restore people who are caught in sin. But do you know what sins and burdens your fellow church members are carrying right now? Because if we don't know, how can we carry each other's burdens? Paul calls us, he says, to carry each other's burdens. But for us to do that, we need to know what they are. And of course, it goes both ways. If you're not willing to share what your burdens are, then how will anyone know? And so when we hold our own burdens to ourselves, what we end up doing is we're actually denying the person next to us the opportunity to obey what God says. Yeah, yesterday we had, a, um, we had a couple of people and a few people from church who was helping out and they were carrying appliances and they were helping out move some furniture for one of the couples in our church. And I can guarantee you that everyone who was involved thought that it was a great success. Not only those who donated things, but those who were able to be involved helping. Also those who received were absolutely blessed as well. When we allow other people to carry our burdens, we give that blessing to our whole church. And so when we think about this task, when we think about what Paul says to us, whose burdens will you help carry this week? Maybe you don't even know what the burdens are around in our church. Maybe this week the first step is to actually go and ask someone, what is going on? How can I love and care for you? So Paul has given us two responsibilities for us in terms of how we interact with those around us. 
but he actually gives us a bit of a star next to it. Because in these next three verses, he says, well, we have responsibilities towards others, but we also need to check ourselves as well. Because quite often, when we look at other people, we fall into the trap of comparison. It's pretty natural for all of us to like to compare ourselves towards others. When we go to a wedding, we look at others, and then we look at ourselves. We generally think of two different things. We either go, wow, they are so pretty, they look so good, and then you look at yourself and go, man, I, I didn't really scrub up. Or you think to yourself, man, thank goodness I'm not wearing what they're wearing. When you go to the gym and you walk in the door and you look around, the first thing that you do is you stare around the place and you go, oh, wow, man, that guy is absolutely ripped. I'm going to go to the other corner of the gym. <laughs> or you walk around and you go, oh, man, that guy, he seems to be barely lifting anything. I'm going to sit next to him and I'm going to lift so that I feel better about myself. <laughs> Even for myself, I find myself, I do it quite often. When I get into someone else's car, I look at how clean it is and I compare it to my own car and sometimes I'll say, wow, man, your car is so clean. And then if it's dirty, I don't say anything at all. <laughs> you know, when we interact with others, we just go and compare. It's, it's just natural. It's really hard to not compare ourselves. And that's why Paul says, I've given you tasks to deal with other people, but don't compare yourself. Have a look at verse 3. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Paul knows that if we start thinking of, oh, I need to help restore those who are in sin. I need to help carry others' burdens. The danger is that we start to see people just like that. The danger is that we start to see people as simply, oh, you're someone that has this sin. You're someone who has sin that needs to be dealt with. You're someone who's got so many burdens that I'm so much better and I can carry for you. And that's why Paul says, don't compare yourself. He warns us, even in, the first, in, in verse 1, he says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. And so this is a real warning, and it's something for us to reflect on as well, because when we look at other people in our church, how do we view them? Do we look at some people in our church and go, oh, I'm so glad that I'm a little bit more holy than them because, you know, I turn up every week, and they only come two weeks in a month. Because remember, when we get to the bottom of all this, what is our church made of? Every single one of us here are all rescuees, rescued by Jesus. None of us have done better than the person next to us. None of us were able to rescue ourselves. And so we should never overestimate our abilities. We should never be thinking better of ourselves than the person next to us. But then Paul goes on and he says, well, actually, there's one side of the coin, but then there's also the other. Because there's also times where we might look at others and we actually go, oh, man, they are so much better than me. They're so much more equipped and skilled. Uh, I don't think I could do anything. 
And Paul warns about that as well. And that's why in verse 4 he says, Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to anyone else. For each one should carry their own load. Remember, each one of us has a part to play in our church's mission. We can't sit here and go, Oh, I'll let those who are more gifted and more skilled to do the job. When Jesus calls us to serve, he calls us to serve him according to God's standards, not according to the standards of the person next to us. When God calls you to help out, maybe to serve as a youth leader, he calls you specifically to do what he wants you to do. He doesn't call you to be like a Jason or a Christina or a Rach. He calls you to be a youth leader as he wants you to be. When God calls you to be on the worship team, he doesn't call you to be like Kenneth or or like Violet. He calls you to be you. He has a specific job for you in this church, and he calls you to be faithful to God, not to other people's standards. When you think about serving, when you think about restoring other people from sin, when you think about carrying other people's burdens, are you reluctant to do so because you feel like you're inferior? If so, then be assured that we all are simply rescued by Jesus. So we've gone through and we've thought about how do we interact with our peers? How do we think of ourselves in light of the church's mission? But also, what about our leaders in our church? Have a look with me in verse 6. Verse 6 says, Nevertheless, The one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Notice that in this verse, there's actually two different people in here. There's those who are instructors and then those who are being instructed. And so when we think of our church, we have those who are leaders and we have those who are being led. And Paul says, those who are being led share, share all good things with them. And so what are these good things? What are good things that we could share with our leaders? In the time that Paul was writing this letter to the Galatian church, Paul was most likely talking about the instructors being the teachers and the pastors of the church at that time. And at that time, their full-time job was to teach the Bible and the Scriptures. So they didn't have another full-time job to earn money. And so those good things that Paul is saying is, well, if you are being instructed, then you should share those good things. You should share so that these pastors and ministers and reverends, that they would actually have something to eat and drink and a place to live. To be honest, there are still many places around the world, many churches where it works like this. Um, Pastor Kent has shared with us that this is still often quite the case even in places like the Philippines. And so we have to ask ourselves, if the leaders of our churches or any church isn't being paid, but they are devoting all of their time to the church, how are they going to get supported? If someone is trying to work full-time for our church but then they have to take a part-time job to make ends meet, then really something's got to give. And so maybe they're going to not have as much time to serve us. 
Right now in our church, in our congregation, we're between pastors right now, but we have a mountain of volunteers who serve faithfully every single week. You know, we have Elder Shukit and Elder George who work tirelessly to discern and oversee and guide our church. We have a full deacon board who takes maybe 10 hours or more each week just to help oversee the running of this church, the ministries, and the programs. There's so many hours that were put into place by planning committees for our food fair and for our sports carnival. Each week, people like your worship leaders, your song leaders, musicians, they take hours out to prepare for worship each week. Each fellowship leader for Bible studies, they may spend up to maybe even 10 hours preparing for studies, for home group, for men's fellowship, for women's group, for KFC, even for Sundays for for KFC lessons as well. Even the welcoming team and the stewarding team, they give up an extra couple of hours of sleep on a Saturday night to come early so that when you walk in, there is a chair for you to sit on. The one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. All of our leaders in our church share their time and efforts with the church. And so it is only right that us as the church would share all good things with our leaders. So as a church member, what good things do you share with your leaders? Do you share words of appreciation and encouragement to your leaders? Or do you complain behind their backs when ministries aren't being run the way that you would prefer? Will you share your hospitality to your leaders by taking them out for a meal or buying them a coffee when they're hard at work serving? I think quite often we see our church leaders, we look at the deacon board and we go, man, they are superhuman. You know, they have been given magical powers and extra gifted. That's why they can do all of these things. And that's why they are so amazing as leaders. But in reality, the leaders of our church still only have 24 hours in a day. They all still need to learn, earn a living as well. They still are just simply people who have been rescued by Jesus, like you and me. They're simply normal people who are being called to serve faithfully. And Paul says we are to share every good thing with them. And so another thing for us to think about is, well, what will you share? What good thing will you share with your leader this week? Think about who leads you in this church and what will you share with them? I'm thankful every week or most weeks when Leslie brings in a box of cookies on Sunday morning. That to me is just the most amazing appreciation um, that I can have as I grab a cookie before uh, I preach. That's, that's the encouragement that I need and the, the fuel that I need. But how will you share good things with your leaders? So as we near the end of our passage, we've learned a lot about, from Paul about how we are to interact with our peers how we're to think of ourselves, how we are supposed to interact with our leaders. But then he's got a couple more things to say. Let me read to you verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Most importantly, with all of the things that Paul has said for us to do, to restore each other from sin gently, to carry each other's burdens, to share and support our leaders, 
We need to do all of this to please the Spirit. Remember, when Jesus fulfilled his mission by rescuing us, we received the Holy Spirit. And so everything we do as part of Jesus' church, as part of CCMA, should be done by the Spirit. If we do any of these things not by the Spirit, we're doing it for ourselves, and all we are doing is we're going to be doing things for our selfish gain. It won't be for CCMA's mission anymore. It will be for our own mission, and we're just simply 100 people sitting in this hall wanting to do what we want to do. But remember, we are Jesus' church. As CCMA, we are those who have been rescued by Jesus. We've been given a purpose from Jesus to do his will. And so CCMA, we are 35 years young. Jesus has fulfilled his mission in this church for the last 35 years. We've fulfilled our mission as CCMA for the last 35 years. What is next? Let me read to you these last couple of verses. These are the ones that she could read out to us. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong in the family of believers. For many of you who have been with us for the last 12 months, the reality is it's been nearly 12 months that we haven't been with a pastor. And the reality is that many of us may be feeling weary Our deacons are being pummeled and they are feeling worn out. It's the end of a long year. So many of our leaders are being stretched paper thin. But by the grace of God, we are still persevering. But there may be times when we feel like, man, is it time to give up? Are we ever going to find a pastor? Where are you, God? But Paul's encouragement to us is, don't give up. The harvest will come. Not according to our timeline, but according to God's. And so as we wrap up today, I want to read verse 10 one last time. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Our church is 35 years young and we've been doing good, but let's not become weary. Let's take every opportunity to do good. Let's take every opportunity to restore those around us from sin. Let's take the opportunity to find out what the burdens are in our church and to carry them for each other. Let's not underestimate or overestimate ourselves, but to serve God faithfully. And let us support our leaders, sharing every good thing with them. And through all this, let us do it through the Spirit. If we don't grow weary in doing good, especially to those who are in the family of believers, then our good will overflow out that door. Then we will be, as a church, fulfilling our mission. We will be bringing people into this space so that Jesus can then fulfill his mission to be rescuing people. And at the proper time, we will reap a harvest as a church. Let me pray as the music team comes up. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We think about all of the good things that you have done for our church in the last 35 years, and we just cannot thank you enough. For each one of us who's sitting in here, we found community, and we have been rescued by you, and you have brought us here today, to this month, to this year, to celebrate and to be a part of CCMA. And as we move forward, we think about all of the things that you have done, and we know that you are going to continue your mission. We know that you are going to continue to rescue people, but we also know that we as a church, as CCMA, we have a mission as well. And so help us to do the things that Paul has encouraged us to do. Help us to carry each other's burdens. Help us to restore those who are in sin. Help us to serve you faithfully. Help us to support our leaders. And by doing so, help us to be doing good to each other so that we can do good to all, not just in our church, but to those outside as well. Father, we thank you so much, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.